You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Listening to the Unsung Podcast, this is episode 26. On last week's episode, we were talking about the third album, Never Better, by Minneapolis hip hop artist POS, and the result was an overwhelming yes. That's right, the public, you guys, you decided that POS is Never Better will make it into our discography, so thank you very much to everybody who voted. Let's crack on. This week, we're talking about Alleluia, Don't Bend, Ascend, by Godspeed You, Black Emperor. I think this is our first proper foray into post-rock territory so we hope you enjoy it to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by a guy in an Elf t-shirt and a guy in a Converse t-shirt. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> the Converse t-shirt's white. I, I got in first. I, I, I'm, I'm here, I don't know what to do now, but I, I did definitely get in first, and I, if I stopped talking for even a moment, then David will seize the upper hand. Uh, I was editing the episodes, and I noticed that David tends to gain the upper hand in these uh, intro bits. So it's today, true, true. I chose a high stool. So the man <laughs> to my down and left... <laughs> Is Dave Weaver? Get it up, you! Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I just have to get in there first if I'm to get in anything at all, really. So you know, that's, that's a tragic it. tale. I know. Life with Chris <laughs> Cusack. Uh, to my right is Mr. Chris Cusack, who I can see is wearing his official uh, Taekwondo black belt uh, <laughs> that he passed when he was uh, 14. <laughs> <laughs> May or may not be true. Everybody's so discriminatory when it comes to <laughs> martial arts. It's like, what's it you do, mate? What's it you do? Karate? Karate? <laughs> yeah, they're all really different, a bit like races, thanks. But yeah, one's as good as the other for Joe Publica. Yeah, it's true. So before we get into this episode, there's two things I want to clear up. One, mm-hmm. my flatmate has told, has told us, he listened to the Wilhaven episode, yep. and he said that Mad Dog is only kosher if it is touched by people who are not Jewish. Not who are t- if it's only touched by Jewish people, if it's touched by people who are not Jewish, then it's not kosher. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird, then. Okay. Touched yeah. as in the bottle, or as in if they put their finger in it? As in, like, the, when it's getting made. Right, okay. Oh, right, That's okay. Like I thought you meant in, like, general. Yeah, so, there we go. And the second bit of housekeeping, we've got a first ever listener from Botswana, so... Oh, hello. really? Hello. Hello there. <laughs> Botswana? Yeah. That's tremendous. Fantastic. We've also got one from Abu Dhabi, so... We are global. We are, we're definitely global. The, hello, everybody. The guy that... Lives across the road from my mum, works in Abu Dhabi, so maybe it's a pity listener. Maybe. <laughs> like so maybe. many. Do you know where our third most listeners come from? Turkey. <laughs> Inexplicably. It's America, it's Britain and America than Turkey. Interesting. I don't, don't understand. 
So all those 170 people that have listened to this in Turkey, hi. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's quite a lot. The last 170 people in Turkey <laughs> listening to anything that wasn't put out by the state. So, yes. On this episode, we're hitting peak Chris Cusack. We're doing Godspeed you, Black Emperor. It's been a lot about me. It has. This is, this is you. <laughs> this is peak, though. This is the most notes I've done for one of the normal episodes. I know I had like 21 pages for the Grunge podcast. Chapters and shit. Yeah, no, this is this is a labour of love, this one. Yeah, I, I mean, this is honestly, I think, one of the best musical acts, full stop. I just think they're next level in almost every way. Concept, execution, uh, their messages, their skill, like their ability as musicians, their ideas, their bravery, the, f- the way they work with Constellation Records, their dedication to DIY. Uh, if I had a band as an avatar, it would be Godspeed You Black Emperor. Yep. But what record is it though? It's Alleluia, Don't Bend, Ascend. Like that accent. <laughs> There's so many exclamation marks in this band that uh, it's hard to know. They're quite. big on syntax, aren't they? Yeah. They change it though. Yeah, uh, they put their exclamation mark in different points. Yeah, before they did Yankee UXO, they, they moved their exclamation mark earlier. So you now have to write the name GY exclamation mark B instead of GY comma B exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mark, were you a big fan of Godspeed yeah I'd heard well no I wasn't but I, I had heard uh, Skinny Fist uh, a few years ago and I was quite taken by it but then I kind of didn't listen anymore to it I've heard, like, I've heard some Silver Mountain Zion stuff as well which I've really enjoyed yeah so I was kind of coming to this a bit fresh because I hadn't really listened to them for a long time um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it I'm not even slightly not surprised fresh. Uh, I'm, I'm not fresh. Oh, you're not fresh. No, <laughs> no it's you're definitely hot. not fresh. It's a warm day. Come it on. It is sweaty. We've, oh, it hasn't rained in Glasgow for six weeks. And it, actually, Mark and I did comment on this before you got here that uh, of all the days to have to cover Godspeed, I mean, Godspeed translates well in Scotland where things are generally dark, rolling and somber, hills and yeah, misty, and you know, and now yeah, it's big like clouds. just weeks and weeks of sunshine and optimism <clears throat> and yeah, shirtless people from the East End. It is weird. Sun tans everywhere. Sunburns, sun absolutely burn. <laughs> Scottish people don't really tan. No, I go red and then white again. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, so this is a, a strange climate in which they cover a band that's so atmospheric and somber and sprawling and all that kind of stuff. Impressive. Um, also, <laughs> I think the point you're maybe making is that because of where we record currently, uh, we have to keep the windows shut because otherwise you'll hear nothing but Glasgow ambiance and therefore it's getting a little bit warm in here. Yeah. It is sweaty. Uh, Boz are definitely sweaty. No, but talking about Scotland being appropriate for Godspeed, when the last album Luciferi- Luci- Luciferian Towers, Luciferian Towers, I never thought. I didn't think there was an well, I in there. Well, oh yeah, no, there yeah. is. Luciferian Luci- Lucifer Towers, as in is Lucifer. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I got that album, I drove up to the northwest of Scotland. And just because you got that album, pretty much, <laughs> I was like, I, well, I, I must, was, I must isolate. Yeah, exactly. And I just drove through the hills with ominous clouds, and it was just unbelievably perfect. 
uh, and that's kind of how all Godspeed records should be listened to. Yeah, I think it's no coincidence that so many people move from Scotland to Canada and feel quite at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, first listened to this record driving back from Edinburgh at night, and it was it was pretty perfect as well. It's a really good night driving record. A lot of the records are, but this one, especially the the first, the main song. I would say the main movement of the piece. I mean, yeah, the I first mean, movement, this, this yeah. album, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably good to actually, we'll get to the details of why this album and why not other albums, but this album only has four tracks in it, and it only really has two proper tracks in it, mm-hmm. which uh, made the whole decision-making process about which album we were going to cover quite difficult, because two of the tracks in this are really just holding patterns, or, yeah. you know, pacers, filler, some people would say, I don't see these ones as being filler, which is... Ambient noise. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's whole genres that sound... Uh, sillier than these two tracks yeah. but um, the other two tracks are exceptionally good and especially the one that I'm guessing you're referring to is Maladich, Maladich yeah. um, which I think is, for me is the, the, the best piece of post-rock music that's ever been made Just putting that out there, I think it's the it's the epitome of what post rock can be, as opposed to the sort of kind of overused delay pedals and meandering sort of symbols and big, yeah. big crashes and all kinds of stuff that bands like. Uh, well, we don't need to shit on anyone just yet. There's plenty of time for that later. It's certainly up there. Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms mm. of scope, in terms of how they pull it off as well. I think the second track, we drift like worried fire. Uh, sorry. The third track, but the second proper track, We Drift Like Worried Fire, is the closest they got to quite a conventional post-rock sound. Like it's, yeah. it's quite guitar-y and quite... Do you know, so you'd say that, I'm just so annoyed that I couldn't find this, but maybe what I will have done is gone through a hard drive and then found it before we edit this, and you can play it. We. Oui. <laughs> but when I was back at uni, I just used to listen to lots of post-rock, basically just Cult of Luna and uh, Godspeed and Mogwai. And I used to write a lot of post-rock stuff and never made a band. Well, actually, we did. Me and my pal played one gig. At high school? Uh, No, in university. Uh, What was the band called? Sharks That Circle. Oh, wow. Uh, Which is actually a Zozobra song. So we were, you know, from good post-rock stock there. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, I fucking wrote... uh, (laughs) We Drift Like Worried Fire. I 100% did. I... uh, I think I must have recorded it in like 2007, maybe 2006, and I wrote that exact riff. Are we talking legal suits here? I mean, if I can find it, it's like <laughs> recorded through the inbuilt microphone on an iMac <laughs> uh, onto iTunes uh, in my hall's room. But uh, I did write that, and then see when I first heard that song, I was like, wait a minute, that's my song. <laughs> um, but then they kind of made it better. But uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So good on them because they could have just left it as it was. I know. Yeah. But anyway, that's my claim. Trying to throw people off their scent. Like, what's that shit song? That sounds like one of Weavers. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know it's the worst on the album, me. Anyway, <laughs> that's my part. Well, thanks for that story. Anytime. I can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be doing most of the talking from here, guys. <laughs> Sit back. Yeah. Right. So, can I? We need to set the set the scene a wee bit. Godspeed Black Emperor is a musical collective from Montreal in Canada. 
and it actually originally started as a kind of revolving lineup with some kind of core members. I think at one point they had like an unwieldy number of people turning up for shows, and then they eventually uh, settled on I think it was nine nine people. As you do. I'll just have nine people in this band. Yeah, them versus Slipknot. That'll be a, a good football tournament with two ringers each. Bagsy going in a Slipknot's team. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, they released a record in 94 called All Lights Fucked on the Hairy Amp Drilling. a pattern of Godspeed you picking <laughs> ridiculous names for almost everything they they have some kind of strange dialect uh, when it comes to their uh, some would say that they, they could be classified as slightly pretentious Chris some I'm not not me I'm just been playing devil's advocate here I'll allow that at this early stage <laughs> <laughs> well I see, see to that comment I would have to say what well, if, if someone's going to call them pretentious right someone's going to call them pretentious what are they pretending to be that they're not you're taking the word quite literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I think I what just they're creating is art. Yeah, it's And all art is pretentious at some point. Let's not go down this hole so soon. <laughs> well, you <laughs> know. Got a lot to get through. I fucking love it. Carry on. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit pompous, but there's a place for that. I and mean, we spoke about in the Mogwai episode, we spoke about tabloid versus broadsheet post rock. Mm-hmm. And Godspeed is definitely broadsheet post rock. But Godspeed is. Kind of uh, Daily Telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was thinking Telegraph as well. Actually, <laughs> it's it's actually more like the Morning Star, given their their personal politics. Yeah, they are um, left. But uh, yeah, I mean they're very highfalutin for for want of a, uh, a more colloquial phrase than that. Even that um, printed on premium paper. <laughs> yeah, but printed by hand. Yeah, on an old fashioned press. Yeah. Um, yeah, John using calligraphy Or department Yeah uh, So Godspeed Yeah they're, they're To me the epitome of that Kind of broadsheet post-rock Because it's, it's basically neoclassical It's like modern classical music Classical music Kind of interpreted via What we would now consider Conventional instruments Albeit like guitar bass drums mm-hmm. uh, Bits of brass A lot of strings Like cellos Double basses Violins And the odd Bits and bobs of other stuff you know a bit of like keyboard piano uh i think we've got bagpipes and some other stuff as well mm-hmm. fucking bagpipes uh, yeah. we'll leave it to corn <laughs> or the whole of our country oh well, yeah that's true can i just um, say um, our tourist industry obviously i'm not as i'm not as, i'm not as familiar with their, their entire over as you guys are right but it seems to me that neoclassical would be a much better way of describing them because they kind of there isn't even rock Structure wise to the songs Most For the most part The only problem with neoclassical As a description Is it uh, Kind of veers towards I mean everything from like Arvo Park To like guys like Johan Johansson yeah. Which are um, No it's not It's not neoclassical In that sense There are points I think it's this, closer Than any kind of rock music though It's a much closer class. But they're a rock band I think that I think that's the You thing. think so? They're a rock band yeah, Playing I mean, We drift like Very expansive music Is rock music For at least Five minutes of it, yeah. and um, Mladic has some riffs on it. That totally, are just but they completely eschew heavy like, riffs. Traditional rock structure, arrangement-wise, yeah. But uh, in terms of like the in terms of performance, they're performance and the aesthetic. I just yeah, and they're very very paired back in the presentation. Like the mm-hmm. the whole thing is that they have this kind of anarchist squat chic yeah. that goes around all of their material and their general 
demeanour. I think the reason I bring it up is because I think there's a, I, I, I'd be worried to call them, obviously they do have like rock moments, but I'd be worried, I'd be wor- worried about calling them rock band or a post-rock band because it kind of, in a way, can be seen as denigrating the guitar as a classical instrument. Does that make sense? I know what you're saying, yeah. Um, they use it in a, a very interesting way. Actually, something that, when I was researching this, was brought up, and I, I can't believe after like, well, nearly 20 years listening to this band, that I hadn't noticed it beforehand, but their guitar is actually used a lot of the time uh, in a way very similar or very, um, in a way it's very reminiscent of Ennio Morricone. And and that yeah. that just had not occurred to me at all. And then listening back now, it's all I can hear. Like, It does sound like any Morricone, yeah. And um, especially in some of the earlier stuff, there's some really strong. Like, uh, well, we'll call it F sharp, A sharp, mm. Infinity for people just seeing the album name written. Actually, it fades to Infinity, mm-hmm. but that album, the, the the guitar in it is yeah, very much a spaghetti western feel. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, okay, we could definitely get into the classification <laughs> thing, and I think that will become an issue as we go through their career as well. It kind of varies. Um, the name. Gospel Black Emperor came from a, it was a 1976 Japanese documentary about a motorcycle gang called the Black Emperors. They have loads of spin-off projects. You mentioned Silvermount Zion. They also have members that are involved with things like Fly Pan Am, a band called HRSTA, and I don't know if they just roll that into <laughs> or if they, they, they do go for the letters. Um, Esmerine, who are a band that I'd heard about and I'd never actually bothered to listen to in, a, in any uh, great depth, but they're fantastic, like really good. The stuff I've now heard is excellent and it's something I'm going to get um, really setting about uh, also Set Fire to Flames who were quite a, an experimental kind of post-rock in the very post-post-post sense like almost like art mm-hmm. at, at points like just really really uh, out there so they've got a lot of things circling around them Silvermount Island are a fantastic band like a really really wonderful band and I think at points as good as consistently probably over the piece as good as Godspeed You Black Emperor in terms of quality. They don't have Mladic though. Because <laughs> Mladic is just like your secret whim. One of the reasons that a lot of people haven't heard Godspeed, especially people like yourself, Mark, is probably because they went in like a, an extended hiatus yeah. from 2003 through to 2010, which is like a really kind of key mm. time for you when you were getting into music. I can't tell Skinny Fist when they were no longer a band. Yeah, I had listened to stuff before that, but I hadn't been invested in them. I only really got invested in them when I, in that year that they split up, and I, I just never I assumed I was never going to see them. Yeah, it was about 2004, 2005 I started getting yeah. into them. And I, I did not think I would get the chance to see them. Um, but in 2010, they reunited for No Tomorrow's Parties, um, now defunct. But they got back together again for that, which caused a huge buzz, and uh, then started playing new music, which was 
uh, terrific, <laughs> obviously, because yeah. the, the new, the, they also have that uh, maybe unusual trait of coming back from an extended hiatus and being every bit as good, I would say better, than they were prior, yeah. prior to the hiatus, which uh, is not a common well, occurrence. Well, yeah, it seems that like they just picked up where they left off and, you know, like a couple of bits of music on this record are actually old tracks that they'd like played before and then never finished. Um, Obviously, yeah. 2003 was a pretty significant year politically as well and Godspeed You Black Emperor, being Godspeed You Black Emperor, couldn't really separate their existence as a band from the politics of the time. Um, I think Ephraim Menuk... You're talking about Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. So Ephraim Menuk is seen in a lot of ways as being like the mouthpiece of the band, albeit the, the band don't really have a mouthpiece. They've gone for much more of a, a, a kind of... They subscribe to anarchist politics, at least a, a few of them do, including Ephraim, and they tend to try and keep everything quite communal. But he cited the Iraq invasion um, or the Iraq war of 2003 uh, as having caused, uh, inverted commas, existential freakout. And, and he found it subsequently quite difficult to engage with his art and enjoy his art given the consequences of that invasion and given what was happening globally. We'll come back to that later on. I've got a lot of time for some of the politics of Godspeed You Black Emperor. I have some real eye-rolling moments with the politics of Godspeed You Black Emperor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah, it's easy to put things under a microscope because not everybody's 100% consistent. But there are some things that I think reinforce that sort of suggestion of pretentiousness a little bit uh, and I say that in a very qualified way but I'll, I'll go back into that in 2003 they also had a really odd experience uh, when they were touring the states and it was like outside um, Oklahoma the band <laughs> went to a petrol station to fill up as you do on tour and basically somebody working in the petrol station passed a note to another customer asking them to immediately phone the authorities and the band were detained at the petrol station by the local police until the FBI could show up and the FBI then interrogated them as potential terrorists yep. for quite some period of time supposedly they searched their vehicle, they found a whole bunch of the blueprints and pictures and stuff now if you've ever seen Godspeed You Black Emperor live, you'll know that their live show very very heavily involves live visuals and again we'll talk about that in a wee bit as well and I suspect a lot of these images of buildings and maps and things like that and blueprints were for those visuals. But the FBI detained them for quite some time. And I th- there was like a kind of accumulation of strange and disheartening events over that year that seemed to just eventually like suck the energy out of the band. And yeah, they vanished from sight for a good seven years. I would say as well, it's, it's the last album before that is uh, Yankee UXO is for me their weakest album. Mm-hmm. And I think that possibly played a, played a part in terms of them feeling like, do we still have something fresh to say? Well, I mean, that's... Yeah, I, I think be fair to say that maybe they were feeling that sort of slightly disappointed uh, third album syndrome because their first two records had just been so incredibly well-received and then, you know, it's got to take it out of you. If, and it, I just can't imagine being in a band with nine people. <laughs> like, it's hard enough getting the three of us in a room <laughs> together, you know, once a week. So how the hell do you do nine people, uh, you know, put together their full creative ideas and everybody's got things they like and things they don't like? And, and then have them chosen, chosen to structure songs in such a way as well and write music in such a way where, you know, it's not just... <clears throat> It's not just like four chords in three minutes, you know. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It requires deep composition, deep compositional basically. techniques. Yeah, mm. yeah. 
which must be a total arse to try and <laughs> arrange beforehand yeah. and then to do live and then to do in the studio, you know. Um, but the, they do it fucking exception, exceptionally well, so... There, um, there's like a couple of like notable kind of like prominent moments in their career. One was in 2002 when the film uh, 28 Days Later came out and there's a track called East Hastings, which yeah. is a well-known Godspeed track in its own right and there was a version of that used in the soundtrack to 28 Days Later. Henry Jackman was the one that did the, the score for it, wasn't he? Well, yeah, that was included, but it wasn't mm. included in the official soundtrack because mm. it was licensed to Constellation and the official soundtrack, I think, came out on Warner mm. and therefore they refused to let it be included because yeah. we didn't yeah. release but that it. But was, that was the bit when he sort of wakes up. I think it's Killian Murphy and on the bridge yeah, in London. and he's yeah. on that, yeah. like, it's really iconic, empty London and he doesn't know what's going on yeah. and the music just fits in perfectly. It's, it's so well chosen. I mean, I suppose Godspeed are a very, very cinematic band. Though. They are. They, you know, they, much I mean, like Mogwai, where, you know, it's like kind of built to soundtrack stuff. You, you see a lot of, because Godspeed won't play the game with major labels and major studios, mm-hmm. to their credit, uh, you see a lot of soundtracks that feature music that is clearly trying to approximate what yeah, Godspeed might very do heavily in, that, in, in that situation. Yeah. A big part of the Godspeed world is Constellation Records, and it myself included, I think a lot of people conflate Godspeed directly with Constellation Records. It's not actually uh, the same thing. The members of Godspeed don't own Constellation. There's a guy called Ian, Ian Alavsky, I think his name is, and Don Wilkie. Um, Godspeed are definitely the most famous artist on that label, uh, and it is based in Montreal, and they have worked together uh, pretty much throughout. I think that the first Godspeed records came out on cr- uh, Cranky, on CD, but they were released by Constellation and all their for other formats. Um, Constellation Records and the ethos of Constellation Records, it's DIY approach, it's very anti-corporate stances, um, has been a, a huge contributing factor to the how people perceive the band as well. I think a bit like Fugazi and Discord, albeit Fugazi are much mm-hmm. more directly involved in Discord, which is perhaps where the conflation came from with this. But go, like Constellation... For, for, as someone that set up a label himself, like Constellation was as much the template as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a sensational label, really, really good and very communicative. I remember our label wrote to Constellation to ask for advice about recyclable and sustainable packaging, mm-hmm. and they, they got back to us quickly and they gave us some advice and they were very communicative. And that sort of responsiveness and paying it forward really kind of helps not just the scene but the wider health of the DIY and underground community. That said, a caveat with Constellation would be, for me, some of their attitude to the BDS movement. Mm-hmm. Um, another big part of the Godspeed universe is Hotel to Tango, which was mm-hmm. the site of a lot of their recordings, a lot of their demos, and it was set up um, by Ephraim Menick and Thierry Amar, two of the members of the band, and they joined, they, they joined up with a guy called Howard Billerman and started it in 2000, um, and it's since been used by the, a whole bunch of famous Canadian exports like Arcade Fire, Wolf Parade, Own Palette. I think at one point as well, Silver Mount Zion obviously use it as well. And at one point, uh, while they were recording, I believe Leonard Cohen visited to try and watch the sessions. That's pretty cool. Uh, as I say, Ephraim identifies as an anarchist and true to their DIY uh, ethos, they say things like they describe themselves as taper friendly. So they, they have no problem with people recording and distributing their live shows, mm-hmm. which is... I've never, I don't know if I've ever actually he- heard another band go on the record as saying they describe themselves as taper friendly. 
Well, there's there are a few acts that have put around official bootlegs and stuff and been on board with it, but Bruce Springsteen does it a lot. Yeah, which is weird for an artist that big. You can actually go onto a website which you can listen to every single show he's ever done. Like in the past like 15 years, it's all been recorded. You can just go and listen to it. Well, Fugazi and Pearl Jam did yeah. a similar thing, mm-hmm. but they did it in the sense that they recorded their own shows and yeah. released them to try and undermine the bootleggers. Yeah. Whereas Godspeed are doing it and are taking a different approach, which is like, go for it. Yeah, very supportive. Plus, seeing the guy's an archivist at heart, so I mean, it would make sense that he'd want to have that. I think he's always been that librarian, yeah. you know. But I think that the Godspeed thing, it, I mean, true to their their politics in some sense, it is that step further where they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, bootlegger show, that's fine, go for it. And because live. So much of it is interpreted differently. So much of it is open to performance and, mm-hmm. and, and mood and how the band mm-hmm. are feeling and stuff. That it, everything's different. Whenever I think about like I always think of Prince because he was he's like the he was like the exact opposite. You know, he was like, put your phone away, don't record my shit. Yeah, it's all about right now. Yeah, you know, it's all about living that moment and. It's that moment, and that's what it is. And if you can go and get, you can go and get like bootlegs. Like, there's hundreds of bootlegs on, like literally so many. But he was like, nah, I get them taken down if they if they become popular. Weird. A big part of the Godspeed shows, as we said earlier on, is about the visuals. Mm-hmm. For anyone that's seen them, they'll, they'll, they'll know what that means. But live, they use a sort of split screen thing, and they have a they have an array of uh, analog projectors set up, like really like old school, like real to real projectors. And there's a, a couple of people manipulating those as the show goes on. I don't know if it maybe just used to be uh, one projector. But I, I do know it was a guy called John Littlefair that started this with him and he toured with him. Basically, as, he's listed as a member of the band. And it's now something called Philippe Leonard and Carl Lemieux. Um, but the visuals that they use for the songs quite often form the working titles of the songs. So whether it's buildings or railroads off of Luciferian Towers, those tend to be the themes that they use. So in uh, Luciferian Towers, there's a, a camera, it's probably a drone, slowly ascending up the side of an abandoned or I don't know it's maybe from one of those ghost cities in China mm-hmm. um, of a skyscraper and while that's ha- while the music is happening uh, the people who are doing the projections they distort them and via things like burning via things like using glass in front of the lens so that the actual projection on the on the, the venue is is warped in these beautiful ways they merge between them, the left will cut out, the right will come in, the right will cut out, the left will come in. The left and the right will be the same footage but slightly staggered. I mean, it's it's a it's a whole performance in and of mm-hmm. itself. And it, again, to the band, it's 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 an indispensable part of their set. They won't. It, it is part of their it is part of their thing. It's it's not just a musical, artistic endeavor. It's a, an audio visual artistic endeavor. I just. Uh, Lifted a can of beer to take a little drink because it's getting kind of warm in here. <laughs> the beer's made some funky marks on the table. That's actually stained the table. Yeah, and it's like the first thing I always think is, what's it doing inside me? <laughs> well, who absolutely knows? I know. One time I spilt some uh, little freeway cola on the street um, <laughs> and it left an oil slick mark there for six months <laughs> on the like on the tarp, Mac. I was like, holy shit, that, I've put a whole two litre bottle of that down me in the last you ever put a, co- a coin in cola done that old yeah. experiment it's mental isn't it wow man get, I know. get that around your inside I can't eat drink fizzy juice anymore I've turned into my dad clean the drains <laughs> it's too bloody sweet son <laughs> what's that get yourself some fizzy water David's, David's off the bevy as well and I was kind of saying to him that for a man who was the finest drinking machine I think I've ever met um, for him not to be doing it it's sort of like John Holmes joining the priesthood well you know you've got to know what you're good at to 
Stop it. <laughs> As Confucius once said. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was him. Eh? Here's me trying to stop all the things I'm bad at and I should be stopping the things I'm good at. Wow. Um, so, but like, it's, it's a cool way to approach it because it's obviously, like you've, you've already said, obviously a very DIY band and that's an awesome thing to do. It's also putting trust in the fans as well to like properly produce an accurate representation of, of what they sound like live. I mean, a lot of, I, I think to be honest it's it's more than that they're just they're they're allowing there to be so many recordings out there that the the average the mean of those recordings is representative of them i don't think they're assuming that any one recording is going to perfectly capture godspeed or even be particularly high quality i think they're just like if there's enough there people can listen through them they'll find one they like or two they like or ten they like and they'll get a rough idea of what it's like to hear us and see us perform even if they can or can't actually mm-hmm. watch it themselves and I think it's more of a just a sort of letting go of control attempting yeah. to control I mean it's the anti-Metallica in a lot totally. of ways it's, it's the best I think it's a really good way of approaching it as well because there's going to be hundreds thousands maybe even depending on how big the artist is millions of people that will never be able to see the band live yeah and I know? mean especially Israelis yeah. so I mean <laughs> and, and who, who, in, who in the world is not going to go and see a band because they saw a good video on YouTube. I mean, is is that really the logic that a lot of these bands subscribe to? You know, yeah, I don't like, really understand it. I don't get it. Either. So yeah. you, you can't put up that recording. It's far too close to the. <laughs> it's far too good and far too complimentary of our ability to play. Nobody's going to want to see us. It's like I don't know. Man. <laughs> like in the in the in a few years, obviously a few years before he died, when he started doing this stuff, we thought that Gail Prince would actually do his own, like get somebody with with like a really good ca- a really good camera, just like film shows and put them on YouTube for them because it's like well. So if I was going to do it, I'll fucking do it, right? <laughs> hey guys, it's Mark here. Got to just give you some money. <laughs> oh, straight to the point. We've been MacGyvering stuff for ages now, and frankly, it's just getting tedious. Yeah, both uh, of uh, our headphones have five pences stuck to buttons. <laughs> stuck to buttons, uh, taped in and, because and who we did don't that? have that, that MacGyver over there. Who yeah. did that? The Gypsy Prince. Yeah, the Gypsy Prince. So if if you give us one or two pounds, we can buy more tape. Is that racist? To tape stuff together. Yeah, isn't everyone? We can't afford a lawyer to run it, run by it. So, yeah. <laughs> if you give us some money, we can find out if that's racist. Or if you, if you are indeed a legal professional of some kind, then do let us know. There's a guy called Michael Cohen going cheap right now. I've heard that, eh? <laughs> Let's cover our asses. But yes, if you could donate anything, that would be really, really good. We're not quite children in need, but we are definitely men and semi-need <laughs> of, you know, Semi-men good, good equipment. We've, we've had to borrow mics again this weekend. It seems to be an ongoing thing. And guys, I'm tired. I'm just so tired. God, we're pathetic. I'm so tired. We are really pathetic. I, I hate us right now. I know. Hate us. This is. Uh, stop making us do this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, www.unsongpod.net forward slash donate. Give us some money, and we'll be much happier people. Obviously, kind of touched on Godspeed's politics, and their politics is like a really, really big part of this band. A, a good example, a good illustration, literally, of Godspeed's politics is the sleeve notes for the Yankee UXO album, and that depicts on one side uh, the relationship between major labels and arms companies, and how subsidiaries of different corporations own them. So, you know, Time Warner, Sony, 
and it traces it back to things like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and all these different industries who were manufacturing the weapons that effectively were getting slung at Iraq and at Iraqi civilians. And they've always been a band that's very on point with that. It's very keen to kind of pick apart the mythology of people who assume that their artist is releasing something on an independent and they, they just don't, it's just that kind of head in the sand um, or, you know, hands over the ears like, la 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 la, I can't hear what you're saying. Like Godspeed have always seemed to want to challenge that and I, I personally really relate to that. I've, I've actually used that diagram in a few different lectures that I gave a while ago and it's such an interesting way to really challenge people's understanding of where their money goes and how you endorse a cause. You don't have to explicitly endorse a cause. You don't have to say, I advocate for arms companies. You don't have to say, I advocate for launching bombs at targets in Iraq. What you can do is passively allow it. Exactly. It, it just takes enough people looking the other way and it also takes willful ignorance and I think willful ignorance when it comes to record companies is a, is, a, is a huge thing because so many people want to assume that their artist is what they say they are. Marketing companies and A&R companies are so astute so, so such an incredibly finely honed art now, especially with the algorithmic approach that's, that's come to the fore. The ability to weave between things and just like razor sharp targeting of people and telling people what they want to hear. If you want to depict an artist as being cutting it, having cutting edge politics, as being an advocate for women's rights or black rights or an anti guns advocate or standing up against a particular military incursion, that you can do that effortlessly now. And if you, as the audience member, just don't want to question that because that's what you want to hear and the marketers know that, then you're deceiving yourself. And I think Godspeed with a lot of their politics and especially for example with that that illustration and that cover did a lot to kind of pull that apart it was at the time actually criticised for being slightly inaccurate um, I think uh, they, they actually published an apology relating to the part of it where it, it conflated EMI and Warner and then ironically in 2013 EMI became Warner was bought by <laughs> yeah. Warner so like they, they apologised at the time for saying yeah that part of it uh, that's maybe a bit of an exaggeration it wasn't very properly researched and then ultimately it came to pass so on, on one hand I have a hell of a lot of time for their politics and it's a big part of why people love the band I, I think not everybody but it's a big part of why a core of their support love the band and the Constellation bands in general um, I have when we spoke about this episode in advance I was like I'm going to touch on the BDS movement here guys so <laughs> be prepared can for you explain what the BDS movement is for people who don't know yeah boycott divestment sanctions um, the BDS movement is something that's sprung up in opposition to the conduct of the Israeli army specifically in, in Gaza um, and the West Bank. And it's a contentious thing, speaking as somebody that broadly and wholeheartedly decries the activities and the actions of the Israeli government in those areas. It's difficult though, because there's broad strokes involved and I think there's a fair amount of hypocrisy involved. I know members of Pink Floyd have been very outspoken about it recently you know, asking people to boycott artists and Tom York, I think, bore the brunt of it mm. because he refused to boycott Israel. Yeah, I think yeah, Dave Gilmore's a bit part of BDS. Pretty sure he is. Dave Gilmore? Yeah. He's, he's one of the most vocal people mm. on its behalf. And I can see the logic behind it. I mean, it's the most complicated and intractable problem <laughs> on the planet mm. because it's it's political, it's military, it's geographical, it's, it's social, it's social, it's, it's religious, religious. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so. Un, I mean, it's well, just, I I actually I did politics at uni, and we did a whole semester on just the Israeli-Palestine conflict, and over twelve weeks we just tackled a different general aspect 
of how fucked it was <laughs> <laughs> and like and I, at the end of it it was like oh yeah it's completely fucked so that was what my take out from it, yeah know, I mean it's, studying it. it's horrendous because no like no sensible person can can put up a good argument against the fact that Israel's conduct uh, especially in West Bank Gaza is, is, is awful mm-hmm. it, it's just obscene and the things that have been done are terrible BDS got apartheid don't they they compare it to apartheid which I think's glib I think to be honest. it is. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit naive. And I think some of the the musical rhetoric around it is just it's posture and it's marketing. It's um, it's people getting involved in an incredibly nuanced problem in a way that is quite self serving and is I think a lot more to do with their own egos than anything else. Now where that comes into play here is the fact that godspeed are on constellation records if you go on constellation records website and try to buy uh especially luciferian towers their most recent album it says under it does not ship to israel um i don't think that the godspeed fans in israel are the problem i think if anything the godspeed fans in israel are part of the solution now i understand they're like so yes we want to impress upon them the importance that they stand up against their government i think they get that i i really do the, un- the unfortunate thing is we also live in a world where whether people admit it or not, Jews are still very much the scapegoats for a lot of things. I mean, if you look at the conspiracy movements, anytime someone talks about, you know, the one world government, anyone, someone, anytime someone talks about the Illuminati, they're talking a lot of the time in code for Jews. You know, every, any, anytime someone says, oh, I don't hate Jews, I hate Zionists, but yet can't actually tell you what the difference is between those. <laughs> Jews are still the whipping boys Certainly not in Gaza, but on the whole. And therefore, this lazy approach that we take to these problems, assuming that we can wrap it all up in one soundbite, and assuming that that feeding people narrow versions of our personal truth and take on that issue is going to somehow solve this, I think is really naive. I especially have an issue with that because Godspeed, first of all, were touring the USA in 2003. Now, I get that they stopped, that USA was invading Iraq. They've toured the USA multiple times since. Godspeed also played their first Chinese tour in 2013. Right, and it it there's there's no way to reconcile that as far as I can see in terms of making common sense. I mean, even official estimates of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict are about fifty-one thousand deaths, sixteen thousand of which are Jewish. The Chinese claimed that eighty-seven thousand Tibetans were killed in response to the uprising in fifty-nine. The Tibetans <laughs> claimed it's four hundred and thirty thousand. But Godspeed will still tour in China. Now I'm. I don't think Godspeed are going to change the mind of the Chinese government, but I don't think that not shipping to Israel is going to change the minds of the Israeli government. And I just think there's an incredibly facile posture and element to a lot of these things that serves left-wing conspiratorial thinking to kind of demonise the Jews. Because conspiratorial thinking on both sides talks about the one moral government. Conspiratorial thinking, I mean, the protocols of the elders of Zion and all that bullshit that first made Jews out to be the bad guys, or first at least articulated all the different myths. It was all fiction. It all yeah, came from, it's, literally it's, it, all came yeah, from fiction. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that came from a, a book, I think it's called Beeritz, and it was just, it was literally a, a book of fiction mm-hmm. about a conversation in a graveyard in the middle of the night. And I think these people getting involved in these to that extent, rather than putting it across in... in Nuanced ways, it sometimes comes across Absolutely. as like virtue signaling. It's exactly that. It's exactly yeah. that. There's a form of identity politics that you fall into there, which mm-hmm. doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help foster understanding. And it certainly doesn't help the cause of trying to stamp out anti Semitism, just in the same way as we're trying yeah. to stamp out this horrend- the horrendous a, actions. And in another, the West Bank. A, another way of looking at it is that they are a very small part of the debate 
or of the, the entire thing, but what they're doing is they're forcing the debate. And what we've done on a music podcast now is talk about the Israeli-Palestine conflict for 10 minutes, and that comes from that boycott, and otherwise we wouldn't have talked about it. True. So, you know, I, I and, do think they take exception to it, though. I think that's one of the problems. I don't think there are a lot of dissenting voices in that front. I think for the treatment of Tom York, for example, I've issues with Radiohead. I think they're hypocrites regarding their conduct with major labels, absolutely. But nobody really wanted to hear what Tom York had to say about that. They just wanted to slam him for mm-hmm. for not getting on the on on the wagon. It's like you know everybody else is doing this. This is this is cool. This is the yep. current. This is the yeah, zeitgeist is our, movement. You know, this is our uh, anti-establishment wagon right now. Get on it. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, you know. uh, how, this album's good, though, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to bring it back to Prince, but I need to do this. Sorry. But he's, he was a person that he would often be asking when he had interviews, very rarely, about some current events. And sometimes he'd give an answer which was maybe not particularly well thought out. And there was an interview in The Guardian, I think, in the early, early 2010s, and he, the whole point was, like, I don't like it when people ask me about politics because I'm only interested in making music. And there's a lot of complex shit happening that is really really difficult for me to articulate but then on the other hand when all the stuff happened you know with um, Black Lives Matter he was like one of the first guys down there you know like they had they wrote the song Baltimore you know and he was the first person to be in the front line so it's really interesting to see how how people could be sort of moved into action mm-hmm. when it's a, a cause that's a much closer and maybe it's it's probably the same for the guys that's talking about Zion I mean uh, sorry and, and Godspeed I mean uh, what's the, the singer's name Ephraim Minnock yeah, well, he's not singing yeah, yeah. Me, but I, so I mean what what is his theory behind that you know what I mean it's, it's like, not Godspeed I should, 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 should clear, make yeah. that clear yeah. <laughs> it's not Godspeed it's, it's, uh, it's Constellation Constellation don't ship that album to mm. Israel but I would assume given Godspeed's conduct when it comes to everything else they are sticklers for detail and I would assume if they had a problem with that mm. they would have taken exception to it and acted accordingly Speaking of cyclists for details it's probably a really good time to go into the Foo Fighters Nexus <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear it um, Are we going to do the jingle? Let's do the jingle The jingle's, the jingle's coming you'll hear it right. I'm, I'm going to work on it tomorrow Right um, how, how did you like the jingle that I put in the other one? It was good I appreciate <laughs> it <laughs> uh, So Foo, uh, Foo Fighters um, Godspeed toured with Nine Inch Nails They did on the Tension Tour Yeah and Nine Inch Nails uh, Dave Grohl played drums on the album with teeth, so it's two jumps. That is, that's two steps. Oh, there you are, um, straight in. But that, put the end of the jingle in here. <laughs> but the whole the whole thing of that is, it was like they're touring with a band who's on a major label, mm-hmm. like one of the biggest yeah. bands on earth. I, 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 absolutely, yeah. So how is that? How does that work? I mean, it just means that they they are obviously compromising at some point, because otherwise they'd just be sitting in a basement in Canada in a squat playing to their nine other halves. And but that Trent, would be it. Trent cool and any authority. Yeah, no, but you know, despite the fact he's in charge of Apple Music, he's like one of. It's as if they're living in the <laughs> real world and trying to, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing though. They are living in the real world and trying to sort of navigate it within in, in a sustainable way. But at the same time, you have to then make clear that you two acknowledge the compromises you make and be a little bit more empathetic when it comes to other people who make compromises. So I think I think it's a complex thing. I actually don't think they're particularly guilty of. Yeah, not, I, I was going to say. I, I think it's it. maybe the the folk on the internet and you know the whole mm-hmm. uh, crew that make loud noises about it that are the 
the problem. I don't think that Godspeed yeah. are particularly guilty of but being too hypocritical. But it's a fair assumption, though. But I mean, a famous, famous Scottish uh, phrase: "You fly with a cross, you get shot with a cross." <laughs> and for our listener in Botswana, <laughs> it's just like you know, if you associate with certain things and if you court a certain thing, then it's not unreasonable that at some point you're also lump, yeah. lumped in with that. And obviously, they, exactly they, what I was going to say. they hold themselves up to very high moral standards mm-hmm. because they call out a lot of other folks, so mm-hmm. they should expect to be yeah. called out themselves. Yeah, it's true. So that's exactly the point I was going to make, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Let's lighten the mood. Kind of winding right back in 97, 98, F sharp, A sharp, Infinity landed. Once they kind of trimmed down to that nine piece and really found their identity as a band, that was their first full release and it, it caused a big stuff at the time. F-sharp, A-sharp, Infinity is actually, apparently, uh, Fades to Infinity. It's musical annotation for mm-hmm. Fades to Infinity. And accordingly, uh, with the album itself, there's loads of nice touches with the original release of it. For example, it ends in a locked groove, mm-hmm. so the, the album never actually finishes. Mm. It just keeps it's pretty cool. keeps spinning. Yeah. The the original releases of it, they did, I think there's 500 originally of this of this record, and no, there was no writing in the sleeve notes. There was, there was no information. And the band... <laughs> painstakingly and true to their DIY roots there was like an area around the edge of the vinyl they scored in the track listing and the name of the record and such like by hand Mm -hmm. for these 500 records I I have no idea how easy it is or otherwise to score things into vinyl it's fucking mental (laughs) yeah Um, they, they also did this thing where and they still do apparently even though it's been reissued if you buy it from them directly it comes with like a little envelope with a bunch of things inside it um, and the things inside it included all kinds of weird little knickknacks and doodads there were drawings apparently I think some kind of receipt or ticket involved at one point uh, and the the best one was the, the best one was they did a thing with a, a crushed penny so they used to go out to this old rail yard and take polaroids of the trains and put coins in the tracks and the coins would be flattened to like wafer thin mm-hmm. uh, by the trains and then they'd send you the coin and a picture of the train that flattened it just as part of like this vinyl package that That's they put cool. together for some yeah. people and supposedly it's still all personalised to this day Sharp Sharp Infinity is a fantastic record I mean it's a really beautiful bit of music throughout uh, there's different versions of it because I think the original releases the CD and the vinyl versions are different lengths I believe the CD one maybe has extra music on it a, a secret track on it and because it's the first one and because it's caused such a splash and because people were, it had a wow factor it, it's very nostalgic for people it's really beautiful it's most people's introduction to them and it's it's hard to argue with that I just don't think it represents where the band went. Mm-hmm. It, it's a an unbelievable starting point, but uh, it is. I, I think they've they've built on it. I don't think they're a band that were complacent. They did a, an EP called Slow Riot for New Zero Canada in '99. Uh, <laughs> funnily enough, considering the political conversation we had, the cover symbols of that are Hebrew, and <laughs> they mean formless and empty. And they actually the the artwork for the packaging opens from uh, right to left, since you know. Hebrew, you read right to left, yeah, yeah. as opposed to left to right. That was recorded in Toronto, and it's a beautiful record. It's got a, a track in it called Moya, um, great, yeah. which is wonderful, uh, named after the guitarist who'd left at that time, but has since returned.
And that was followed by Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to Heaven in 2000 Which I believe you, was your jumping in point, right? Yeah, that's, that's the first record of theirs that I heard um, And to be honest, it's, it, it stayed with me I've got to be honest But other stuff happened at that time in my life when I heard it So I didn't go back to explore more Because I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie, it's a big undertaking Like getting into Godspeed is a big, big undertaking There's a lot of chewing yeah. involved it is. <laughs> And at that time I just wasn't I wasn't up for that at all Yeah, um, well that record is four tracks But you're talking, I mean the, 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 I don't know how many minutes it is in total But it's probably close to 80 odd uh, One hour and 27 so it's yeah, eight, eighty-seven yeah. minutes for four tracks. Is, there is a lot of tune in that. There's a lot, even finding the bit you like. See when you listen to an album as long mm. as that, and that's a kind of a, a thing with Godspeed that when you're doing a podcast like this to try and identify the moments that you want to pull out and let people hear. It's like wh- where was that? Mm. What, what album even was that? Because <laughs> it is such a. The tracks are so huge and so sprawling. When you get the vinyls, quite quite often they're subdivided into movements. But if you're listening digitally, it's like. 21 minutes there you go you 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 become familiar with it you start to map it out but there's <laughs> so much to try and get your head around um but it is a beautiful album it is really really good there's there's it's euphoric it's kind of creepy um i think it made a lot of the best album lists at the time yeah and, I sub- did. Mm-hmm. and subsequently yeah i packed it up because i seen it regarded as being the best release but i mean at that time we'd only released a handful of things so yeah it broke up so um it's got some really iconic moments of like sampling there's a Coney Island dialogue um, but the track Sleep but it's about sleeping on the beaches yeah. in Coney Island and stuff it's, it, and it really conveys the sort of nostalgic melancholy air it's yeah, stunning stuff Yankee UXO now Yankee UXO 2002 we've got a, <laughs> we've got a Footers Nexus we're going to have to get an Albini Nexus <laughs> at some point right because this for me is their weakest album and it's the only one they did with Albini they recorded it down at Electrical Audio it sounds good I don't think it sounds as good as some of their other stuff it's not as lush it, it's much colder much darker some people loved it I, th- I think if you look online all music give it like an absolutely glowing review because it's it's demanding. It's it's quite a it's quite a tough read. Um, but the likes of Pitchfork said it was sluggish and lacked invention. And I have I have to be honest, like maybe fifteen years after first finding it, uh, hearing that album, I do kind of agree more with Pitchfork. I think I think it's nice in, in places and Rockets Fall on uh, Rocket Falls. It, it's good. They're good bits of music, but they don't reach those heights they don't seem to go as far as Godspeed have realised they can maybe there was a bit of stagnation I don't know because this is the album that came directly before the extended hiatus and perhaps that played a part like I said earlier in, in the decision And they were gone for seven years 
And then they, they reunited for ATP, wind forward another few years, and 2013, they bring out... Um, this record. Hallelujah. Don't bend. Ascend. Mm-hmm. And the only way we found out was because people who went to their gigs, suddenly there's this vinyl on their merch table, <laughs> and people are like, uh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, what's this one? <laughs> what's this one? I've got these ones, I've got these ones, but uh, what's this one here? And they're like, all right, that's a new album. <laughs> You're like what? <laughs> like, it's just that moment of like I was trying to like picture like especially for like the super fans like picture the reaction of somebody who's just wandered into a gig. They're probably excited to be at. You're like wow, I'm going to see Godspeed. I never thought I'd see these guys or I've not seen them in ten years, whatever. And then you just go up to the merch table and they've got a full new album sitting on the merch table. They're just like, what are you trying to do with me? <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, honestly. I can't imagine how excited I would have been like in, in that situation especially when you then fucking get it out of its packet and it sounds like this the first thing you hear is Mladic I mean that's basically their equivalent of doing what Dave Grohl did uh, no what Fred Reznor did <laughs> when he Dave names. Grohl yeah, he's, on, he's on, the brain. on the brain that is the, that is yeah. the Foo Fighters Nexus starting yeah, to infect totally it's just, I am becoming one with the Nexus <laughs> it's an AI yeah really I think it's going to become sentient <laughs> um, yeah, but it's essentially the same as when Fred Reznor did but year zero like you just released it Aye, but yours there is not this. Yeah. <laughs> Still a great record, in my opinion. It's but, good, aye, um, but it's not this. But I think they toured when NHTM had they, at this point, so... 2013 yeah. they toured, so mm-hmm. this was out at around about the same time, yeah. And they were probably... One of the reasons they would have probably toured with, the, with Dave Grohl, <laughs> with Trent Reznor with Nails, is probably because of the shit. He wasn't... In a, I don't think he was on a label at that point. I think he was on his own. I think he just released your zero. One of the Dave Grohl's about the Dave Grohl. One of the Dave Grohl's, yeah. Some of those Dave Grohl's. Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl. Because Dave Grohl was in another band as well, wasn't it? Dave Grohl? <laughs> yeah. I've never um, seen him in the same room as a guy from Nirvana, why is that? Dave Grohl? Yeah. Um, yeah, you could be right. And I, I, I do share that kind of weird thing. I, like, I mean, it's a credit to Nine Inch Nails that they always pick such good support bands. Mm-hmm. Death Grips and Godspeed You Black Emperor, but I was a little Jeez bit... addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Soundgarden yeah. A Soundgarden yeah that's, yeah that's a really good choice man I'd be delighted if I went to a show and it was Soundgarden and Nails, yeah. especially now <laughs> definitely now confused and delighted <laughs> and a little bit a little bit nauseous yeah so they followed Hallelujah with Asunder Sweet and Other Distresses true to form with the names like it, I, I don't think it's a great record really um, I was a little bit disappointed I feel it's the closest in, in tone to Yankee UXO it's a bit darker, it's a bit mm. denser, it's it's more conventionally rocky as well. It's really just more of a rock record. That said, there's a track in it called Piss Crowns Are Trebled, which is, at points, absolutely beautiful. There's a bit at about five and a half minutes in that that there's a, a kind of euphoric shift. Unfortunately, I think the rest of that album is a little bit, I don't know, just just a little bit dark. Um, it lacks the euphoria. I mean, they've, they've talked about their sound in the past. Um, I think some of the quotes he used to describe it was, uh, we want to make a joyous, difficult noise, which, yeah, seems fair. Mm-hmm. 
this album didn't have as much of that joy. It has a lot of difficult noise in it, not enough, as much of that joy. They've also said that every time they've, they've written a tune, they've started with the blues and then pointed towards heaven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you that's a little bit pretentious. Yeah, but still a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that sense of like, optimism that tends to like surface in their tracks, I mean, that bit in Piss Crowns is the only point, I feel, in Asunder where that really happens. And finally, in terms of their, their albums, the most recent was Luciferian Towers. And I have to say, when we were doing this, and I was adamant from an early point that we're putting Godspeed in here, I was hard pushed not to put this one in. And this would have been the most, most recent record that we'd included in the, mm-hmm. in the in the catalogue, or at least that we'd made a candidate for the catalogue. Now, it's 2017 it came out. And it is lush and rich throughout there's hardly any filler on this one even less so I would say than Alleluia mm. it's very lean and it's full of dynamics it's got some very high points some very beautiful low points really patient opening track it takes until like two minutes in for the motif to emerge Bosses Hang is it's just a beautiful song third track Fam Famine again is probably the closest they have to a pacer on Luciferian Towers but it serves a, a purpose in the sense that it prepares you for track four Anthem for No State Anthem for No State is I think their best track after Mladic I've been kind of like weighing this up in my head I think some people are very nostalgic as I said about uh, F sharp A sharp infinity face to infinity Anthem for No State is f- oh it's so good first four minutes are absolutely incredible and then there's a bit after 12 minutes where um, the strings really come to the fore and the music half times people I noticed when I was talking about Godspeed even the people who were a fan of Godspeed they'd sort of not given that track the, the attention it deserved it's the, it's the last track in the record but I, if, if you are one of those people go back and listen to Anthem from No State and really appreciate what a glorious bit of music it is I mean uh, I, I honestly think it's as, as, it's as good as almost anything else I've done um, and it, it also proves that they're as relevant as ever I mean how many how many bands are you know have been about since 94 and are now making music that could potentially, at least in my opinion, be be their best. I mean, it doesn't quite make it, but it's it's damn close. I love the last two records, but I don't think they reach the peaks of this. Yeah, so the first song of the record is is a stunning... Probably one of, like you said, it's one of the Chris. You said it's one of the, the best post rock songs ever written. The I'd, best, I'd, yeah. Okay, I'd agree with that. Probably, I'd, I'd, probably, it's one of the best. I'd say it's in my top ten. Yeah, um, and it's devastating. Mm-hmm. 
it's emotionally, emotionally devastating as well as being, you know, sonically yeah. devastating. So the song's called Mladic and it refers to the guy Rat- Ratko. Ratko Mladic, mm. yeah, the, uh, but- Lee. aka the, the, the butcher of Bosnia, who was uh, he got a life sentence in the Hague after some of his absolutely horrendous activities in the Balkans in the early 90s. Um, which, by the way, was the, he got that life sentence the week before a guy called Slobodan Pralyak, or Pryak, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, took cyanide in the court. Have you ever yeah, seen, yeah, you ever seen that, that video? Yeah, I know. That, yeah, huh? Look that video up. That it's is unbelievable. A, it is a hoot. <laughs> it is a treat. I've never watched somebody die. Watching that gr- grizzled <laughs> old such, fucker you know, die. Yeah, he was so, so indignant. How dare you? How dare you put me up in charges for massacring people? I'm going to drink this vial of cyanide. You fucking fire in. You know, I'll get you a couple of cubes of ice. Um, but that guy, by the way, had been a film director before the war. And the fucking Balkans war is a... F- oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The fucking Red Star Belgrade, the players... One of the players in Red Star Belgrade was a Croat. Mm-hmm. Had to be smuggled out of Belgrade in the night because his fucking teammates were going to kill him. Yeah. And, like, somebody had, like contacted them to tell them and they formed a militia like the, the uh, Red Star such and such formed one of the one of the most heinous militias and then after the war back to playing football guys <laughs> you know just business as normal the, the way that people drifted from this like normal life into that and one of the things about the song like the song was called I think it was originally called Albanian mm-hmm. on the on their set list and it obviously had like an Eastern European feel I love I think it's a it's no small part of how good this song is what they associated with just that word Mladic the, the yeah and the darkness as the well weight and the, also the artwork on the album as well is really sort of it looks like a kind of rural house that's been, yeah, yeah ominous either targeted or is like someone's watching it through night vision goggles or something yeah, Some really yeah, yeah. Something really haunting about it, and just the sheer uh, irreconcilable misery of that conflict, and the mm. fact that they just had to go back to living their lives and pretend. Anyway, so that and and that song is is as oppressive, I think, as they could get musically in terms of trying to approach the the, the emotions that actually understanding that conflict. I've got an interesting anecdote from my life that I can share about this. Um, and when I was at university, I, I did my dissertation, was a creative writing dissertation. And one of the guys who was in the course with me, a guy called Bradley, shout out Bradley if he's listening, the whole way through, is awesome. What's up, Brad? Um, he decided he's a, he's a fucking phenomenal poet, right? But he's really, he really likes uh, sort of traditional meters and traditional forms and stuff. And he decided he was going to do, uh, like, a, basically a, a sole dissertation on the Serbian Bosnian War. And it broke him. Mm, I can imagine. Yeah, actually, like you said, some of the stuff he wrote was phenomenal, but his dissertation ended up pretty much primarily being a whole massive, like, sort of explanation as to why he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucking like, and he's he's just an English guy from yeah. fucking yeah. Buckinghamshire. You know what I mean, he's never actually written since but, either, which is well, staggering. Imagine as a musician. I mean, okay, they wrote the song and then retrospectively sort of mm-hmm. called, called it this. I'd imagine, but the the feeling of this song. I mean, it's so intense mm-hmm. it's so consistently intense even the way it starts so it's got this sample at the start Some people have speculated that it was to do with um, Mladic actually being arrested, but it actually also, especially given Godspeed's politics and their aesthetic, it reminded me of a videotape called Collateral Murder that WikiLeaks released, which was to do with uh, an Iraqi helicopter targeting civilians. Well, they said fighters, but absolutely Definitely butchering a, a group of people uh, in Baghdad that 
became like the thing that made WikiLeaks public enemy number one when it came to the US government, but also relevant at the time, albeit not the Russian proxy that they seem to have become. That even even that introduction, it gives it the context of war, gives it the context of surveillance of very modern warfare as well, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, the radio commentary and the cameras and stuff like that. Um, and it starts in a really patient building but very dark fashion. Uh, the, there's about three and a half minutes of building strings and a, a kind of strange loop and a, 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 a kind of percussive thing that gives away to this like big piano star. only then that the band and the drums and the bass really start to appear at the nearer the, f- the five, yeah. five minute mark mm-hmm. the guitars are, don't even come in i think until about six six and a half yeah it's maybe, about seven minutes yeah yeah maybe much. even later yeah yeah so it's like it's incredibly patient and incredibly like it, it really if you're not and, if you're not in the headspace for it yeah it, it puts you in the headspace for it, it it's gets, also like for a lot of people this is like you're listening to this record 10 years after the last godspeed and you're like what is this gonna be like and although it's you know a dark subject matter they're also kind of teasing you know the listener they're like you're gonna have to be patient because we're gonna fuck you up <laughs> <laughs> um aye and and so all of that is it's almost like that's not the song that's just the, that's just this that's this to set the tone and mm-hmm. uh, it's like after the seven minute mark that the drums kind of pick up the pace of the song the guitars start to come in there's a you know repetitive riff the first time it really starts to to develop in that sense then the eastern european theme comes in mm-hmm. I mean, that's the problem with describing Godspeed songs. Is I like know, you like, can't just oh, describe the one just song. just that big bit yeah. and then the other bit and stuff. one progression can become, like, the equivalent of a full song by another band. Yeah. So after the nine-minute mark, you've got a really beautiful moment where the rest of the band join that riff. Mm-hmm. So the riff's established, the, the, the band are circling around it, and then suddenly they all kind of, like, latch yeah, on Yeah, and it. I always think on that bit, it's like, you can kind of see a conductor just going... All right, fucking everybody yeah, in there. Yeah, it's 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 a kind of goosebumpy bit. Yeah, and this song has got no shortage of goosebumpy bits. Um, yeah, the song it kind of keeps keeps building up, and kind of sonically, the frequencies all start to fill after the ten and a half minutes. It's into about eleven minutes, and there's like a kind of lull. It uh-huh. sort of it does this weird kind of uh, counterintuitive drop where it just pulls you back and it almost sounds like the song's about to end but then there's that like 30 minute mark thing where there's just suddenly that big bombastic doom thing that sets the scene yeah. and it starts to repeatedly strike and it's almost like if the band was an equivalent of a giant church bell mm-hmm. it's just this ominous deathly strike and then 13 and a half I think it, as I said this is the best post rock bit of music ever and I think 13 and a half minutes in this song when that kicks in the goosebumps go up
it's just having seen it live as well it's mm-hmm. the most fantastically realised use of yeah. the entire genre that, that I'm aware of anyway and it, it, as I say it's it's one of those bits that elicits such strong feelings that you can start to see how the name is justified this is something that makes you feel yeah absolutely wow like yeah. really overwhelming it's, it's an incredibly powerful bit of music and then they do that thing again where they ebb away and then once more it's like just shy of the, the, the 15 minute mark they come in with a faster riff and it's, it's kind of a newly developed riff but it keeps kind of undulating it kind of comes in mm-hmm. drops out comes in drops out and then kind of get into a pattern of doing this and then the final hold and just to, I think to show how mature this band is and how confident they are as a band that final hold it's like a minute and 50 they hold the last holding pattern you just keep you waiting keep you you know it's coming especially yeah, yeah, yeah. especially if you've heard the song before you know it's coming but they make you wait so long for it so long and then it just the payoff is sensational It's just really interesting the band coming back, you know, from 10 years off and producing this piece of music that's obviously been worked on, but like a lot of other bands might overwork it or, you know, like pare it down or, you know, shorten shorten it or something. But they, I don't know, they just get everything right. They get the dynamics right. They get the orchestration right. Yeah, it's just ridiculous how on it they were. And, I think the, and that's I think just with this whole record, you know, they did run the risk of coming back with a record that was trying to live up to what they were before, and you know, didn't quite do it, or you know, try and copy what they did. There's definitely a vibe of kind of going, but, hey, rem- remember us? Yeah, we're still here. But like somehow they, d- I think this album, and I, I agree that this is the one that should go in. I think they just perfected everything that they did before, and also what they missed out in that ten years. It sounds like they just built on it. Plus, this, this song was in their set list for about three years before this album came out. And yeah. I think you can really tell, like, all that refinement that you're talking about, all that kind of the orchestration, the, re- the, w- the reason it's so well, uh, uh, it, it's so well realised is probably because they spent a good year and a half, two years playing it live and seeing the response, seeing how it, how it worked dynamically um, before they did that. Yeah, so track two, the helicopter sing it. I remember, obviously, after hearing Lajic when I was driving back from Edinburgh late at night um, this came on and it, it kind of even though it's like a filler track I guess you could say it, it retains like the ambience of the t- sort of dread or the terror at the end of Mladic I think both of the filler tracks I guess if you want to call them filler tracks both of the kind of pacing tracks or whatever you want to call them they, they kind of both serve that purpose of like keeping the atmosphere going with before hitting you with the next movement I totally agree I, th- I think given the weight of Mladic prior to that as well it's you know how do you how do you come out of something that's so seismic how do you come out of something that's so powerful and I think it was an essential form of pacing I, like, I was trying to come up with an analogy for it and I really feel it sounds like a like an orchestra warming up in a, like a Darren Aronofsky film There's some dissonance, but malevolence to it. Yeah. There's an uneasiness to it. 
um, there's a bits of synth and there's bagpipes when they're talking about that they're mm-hmm. kind of pushing through but it's really troubling it's a really troubling song and it has a kind of holding pattern feel to it and to, like you said to stay in the mood stay where we've got you don't leave we're just going to change over mm-hmm. but then funnily enough as well it, it, track three it kind of transitions into track three we drift like worried fire and I really do feel that this is one of the reasons that I think this album edges it I don't think this in and of itself is one of the strongest Godspeed songs but it's a beautiful counterpiece in its tone to Mladic and well and to their helicopter sing because it is I think the most conventionally post-rock they've mm. done maybe maybe ever I mean it has a lot of the motifs and a lot of the approaches that you would see in post-rock later on at least So it emerges out of that drone mm-hmm. from helicopter sing, but it starts to go into the plucked violins, the plucked string instruments, which become like quite seasick. And then gradually the guitars intervene. And uh, I think about the three minute mark, there's a guitar motif that starts to emerge and the drums join in. And then the xylophone becomes a really big part of it. And the xylophone, I think, dictates a lot of the tone of the songs. It feels like a little bit more whimsical. Mm-hmm. It lightens the mood just a little bit. Definitely one. It's definitely when you talked about earlier on about how they try and make joyous noise. It brings the joyous element back in it after, does. after Aye, the devastating does. first two songs. Yeah, it does, and I think it's kind of important, like to to try and balance the tone like that. Because in some of those other records, like Yankee UXO, I don't think they found that balance. Yeah. So and then there's a, a kind of really nice violin counterpoint that comes in about four and a half minute mark just after uh, the strings shift again after the six and a half minute mark. It eventually kind of burn, bursts into like. It's not explosions in the sky, but it does go into that much more trad version of post-rock. Yeah. And as close as I think they've got to that, around about that, that point, albeit there's more orchestration happening in the back, it's not just loads of delay pedals and a bunch of board guys for the United States <laughs> milking their... <laughs> Huge <laughs> effects boards. <laughs> yeah, churning out the same old generic post-rock shit. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to give too much away about how I feel about explosions. <laughs> And then at the 11 minute mark it does this thing where it drops down to these really fine threads of feedback. Again, another really mature, confident bit of songwriting. It starts to develop a kind of minor motif underneath. It really goes down, gets really delicate, and just starts to become a little bit sinister. Emerges into this weird metallic percussive stuff, and then this really ominous orchestral thing starts to push through um, there's a marching snare that kind of comes through the centre and builds up some tension 
and then around about 15 minutes that tension that they've been building since the 11 minute mark sort of resolves as the drums straighten out and it becomes like a really propulsive track mm-hmm. it becomes this really driving and as straight as I think Godspeed get when it comes as regards to songwriting yeah. it, it really just pushes on There's a, there's a riff that kind of starts to do a callback to the earlier motif, but in a much more major way. It's, it's much more upbeat. It becomes basically rock music. And I think hmm. that's where we were, when we were talking about it being neoclassical, I think this is one of the things, this is this is a really great example of them bucking that trend of drifting too much into that esoteric realm, that quite dry and quite austere realm of, of, of classical music, that, or at least how it can sometimes be perceived. And then uh, just after the 17 mark, it chokes itself and then <laughs> there's this like slight reprise with a string descent and it does this big crashing ending over all these really busy drums at the end. I don't think, in, like I said, I don't think on its own it's one of their absolute best bits of music, but it's such a nice counterpiece. It's such a kind of yin and yang thing with Mladic that it makes... it. Be, the, the two songs benefit from each other. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's mm-hmm. it. Like You could easily have put another track on this that was weighty and sombre and devastating. And, you know, if you put Piss Crowns in this, for example, which is probably, I think, maybe a slightly better song, it wouldn't have done Mladic any favours. And I don't think Larich would have done it any favours. It would have overshadowed it. It was important that they went in a different direction mm-hmm. for this track, and yeah, I think it, it, it they really succeeded. And then it just there's a the, the, the fourth track again, name wise, <laughs> strung like lights at the printemps. Brilliant. I mean, and, and do you think this is bad? Wait till we do a Silvermount Zion episode, <laughs> which is even more absurd. Um, but that's got like a weird discordant hangover feeling. Like it's almost like. Post-coital, but like really bad sex. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like that awkwardness when you've just fucked your best friend's dad. I've <laughs> <laughs> never been there personally. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this, is, this is how I recall it. an extremely uneasy track and, and they choose to finish the album in that way they mm-hmm. choose to finish it on an uneasy note they don't finish with a big lavish you know like orgasm of music mm-hmm. like they've done for example with um, uh, Luciferian Towers and they finish Anthem for No Stay it's just such a beautiful ending they, they don't do that they kind of go for an anticlimax here they go for a down ending and it's it, it reflects I think the it it reflects the the weighty tone of, yeah. the, of the record overall. Cause yeah. It is a weightier record, but it's a far better balanced weighty record than a couple of the others, like Asunder, for example. So I think uh, if we're going to put any Godspeed record in, it should probably be this one. What do you guys think? We, we said the two that are the most contentious are Luciferian Towers and um, Lift Your Skinny Fists, but I do think for the sheer power of Mladic, yeah. 
I I think the I love uh, lift your wrists as well, but I, I like <laughs> lift your wrists. Lift your wrists. Skinny wrists. Uh, sorry that's yeah. a fucking great record I love skinny wrist you know it's amazing but skinny wrist <laughs> what am I talking about <laughs> I said that, that would have been the one I would have went for to be honest but I don't know one I've had spent time with so I, you know I I think this one just the production is better uh, I think it's heavier I don't know I just like this one more as well it pushes out in all the extremes a, a bit further I feel like it's yeah. heavier it's sweeter it's more sinister it's more ambient yeah. it, it has all the all the extremes. The only thing I think it lacks is that the 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 tenderness of uh, Luciferian Towers. I think that's mm. got an element of tenderness in it that this misses out on. But that is the only ingredient that doesn't really rival. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, I, I I just think it's an absolute masterpiece of like contemporary music. I think this will inspire some really interesting discussion. Yep. I think a lot of fans will be interested in why this one. Why this one? Yeah. Well, to be honest, if, if, I know David's in them, but if you'd been more into Godspeed, <laughs> I would have suggested we do a mixtape just on Godspeed mm. because I think their catalogue is that strong that we could have easily picked those three albums and argued about them. Um, but I mean, I am completely behind this. I, I love this bit of music. So yeah. go to your Facebook page and vote and tell us if you think we're right or wrong. Uh, also, leave us some ratings and reviews because we fucking love that shit. Ratings and oh, reviews, yeah, please. Ratings please. and reviews. We'd love to have some of them. Oh, by the way, quick shout out to one of our uh, sponsors. Craig, oh, shit. Craig got to talk about him. Yeah, that Craig guy Carrick. did some cool shit. Who today uh, got... Uh, one and his wife, Rachel, who I lived with in Melbourne for a year. Yep. Really? Did, yeah. They did some well. And uh, they today got uh, won the equivalent of Dragon's Den in... Uh, yeah. Or yesterday won the equivalent of Dragon's Den down in Australia and with their new... Uh, Donuts. Donuts, which yeah. is like chicken nugget donuts, which yeah. sounds fucking amazing. Sounds Maybe like not to Dave, of course. As a vegan, I strongly disapprove of them, but <laughs> yeah, good sound, work, Craig. Sounds like something Craig would get behind. Yeah, he's a good But good also, he, he is, he is, he has donated the most obscene amount of money. We're going to call it the Craig. The Craig. <laughs> <laughs> going forward, let's go with the Craig. Well, well, 10 bucks is a Fritz and 50, 50 uh, is a Craig, so crack. somebody, <laughs> needs, somebody needs to claim 20. Yeah. So be, be immortalised what are we doing next week David I think what are we doing David I can't remember what we're doing next week oh uh, are we doing uh, Best Coast yes we'll do Best Coast we're doing Best Coast then that's an absolute treat what's the album called uh, Crazy Like You which is very good it's very sunny and surfy that's a proper su- summer album we should have done that should have done that tonight yeah absolutely yeah. It'll, be, it'll be pissing down as usual I know <laughs> oh well well anyway thanks guys it's been great ciao You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.